Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, that'll be one of the texts that we'll be using this morning for our study. If you're using your songbooks, you may want to go ahead and mark number 287. There's a fountain free. That'll be the invitation song after our study. It's a beautiful morning. Good to see everyone out with us. We have some who are not present. We do, as Benny said, need to check on them. I haven't heard uh, that they were sick, but they're not here, so... Let's uh, do what we can to let them know that we've missed them. And thank you all who are here. We do have visitors, and we want to thank you for being with us this morning. And if there are any questions that you have about anything you see, anything you hear, please let us know. We'd be more than glad to uh, do what we can to give you a Bible answer for the things we do, the things that we teach, what we believe. We want to make sure that what we believe and what we teach and what we practice is what God wants us to be practicing according to His revealed Word. And if you can help us out in that, we'd appreciate it. If you could show us something that we're not doing that we ought to be doing, please do. And if we can help you as well, let us do that. We're going to be talking this morning about being a pilgrim. Here we are, but faithful pilgrims. That's a song actually in our songbook that um, I remember we sang a lot when I was in Pine Bluff. And um, I just, I got to thinking about this this past week. And uh, here we are, but straying pilgrims. It is true that we all do sin from time to time and we stumble. That word stray means to deviate from the direct course, leave the proper place, or go beyond the proper limits, especially without a fixed course or purpose to ramble. And uh, I understand, look, I'm not saying we shouldn't sing the song and it's wrong to say that we're straying pilgrims because, again, yes, we do at times sin. And this journey is a journey that we don't know what's around the next corner, you know. And we're not at home. That's true. We're not. Heaven is our home. We're just down here on this earth just passing through. So there's a sense in which we can use the word straying. But there's also a sense it may give some the wrong idea. And so I just thought it would just be better. Not that the other's wrong, but it'd just be better. Here we are but faithful pilgrims. How about that? Are we faithful pilgrims as we're going through this earth, this life, and this world? Are we faithful pilgrims? Think about it. You know, most of you who have children and you've gone on a journey have heard this question asked. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Ten minutes later, are we there yet? Yeah, that's just the way it is. And you know, this, this life seems like it's long. And it's true, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And though it seems that way, it seems it's long. You can ask Brother Rumpker back there, I bet he can tell you it doesn't seem like it's been long to him. I bet he would tell you that it's just flown by. And that's, that is the way, reality of it, isn't it? My life has flown by. You think you've got all the time in the world, but in reality, reality, you don't. As James says in James 4 and verse 13, life is but a vapor. It appears for just a little while, and then it vanishes away. So we are here temporarily. This world 
This life that we live is temporary here on this earth. Temporary. Now on our journey through this world, and that's what the Bible says, we're pilgrims. We're just here going through a place that is not our own and is not our home. And we're just traveling through. But on our journey, we're going to face various things. We're going to face distractions. The world wants to distract us. We'll face detours. Sometimes, you know what? Things don't go like we think they ought to. In fact, they don't go as they ought to go. Not just what we think. They don't go as we ought to go, as they ought to go. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes other people do bad things. And we have to take an alternate route. You know, we have to go around the stumbling blocks. We have to go around the problems. And sometimes life is what it is. And you have to learn to deal with that and move on and do what you can in a, in a way that pleases God from that point. So our life, our journey here will face distractions, detours, wrong turns. We're not always going to make the right choice. Pit stops. We've got to stop from time to time and discover where we are and who we are. We also realize and must realize we're on this road with other people. Now, there are some who are going to try to discourage us and to distract us from our faithful walk with Christ. There are others who are going to try to encourage us. And there are some whom we need to try to actively encourage. We need to make sure and understand we're not on this. Listen, although I'm going to stand before God and give an account to Him based upon what I have done myself, personally and nobody else is going to answer for me, and I'm not going to answer for anybody else. But here's something I must remember. I'm also accountable for, for my fellow man. I've got to think about him and his soul and his salvation. What can I do to help him? On our journey, we're going to face difficulties. This life can get hard. The road can become rough. In Africa, I saw some rough roads. And I mean rough. I mean the bottom of our vehicle was cr crashing down against the, uh, the rocks and the, going through the holes and the mud puddles and crossing the creeks. And, uh, and Africa was kind of scary at times. You're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Whew, it's kind of scary. But sometimes the road's smooth, everything's good, you know, it's, it's fine. But many times the roads can get slippery, curvy, uphill. Now that's, ride a bike uphill, that's not fun. Especially if you're out of, as out of shape as I am. Then going downhill, look out, you're going to go too fast, you're going to crash. Rough roads, dangerous roads. There are thieves along the road. You never know what's around the next corner. Who's hiding in the bushes. We need to understand this, this life has all of these elements to it. This is a scary existence if you stop and think about it. In Genesis 47 and verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. 
And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Well, Jacob understood something that we all need to understand. We are just pilgrims. We're just passing through. Psalms 39 and verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. For I am a stranger with you. A sojourner, as all my fathers were. We're just passing through. From one end to the other. And of course, from our birth to our death are the ends in view. We're all going to face our own mortality, our own death. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, the Hebrew writer says, These all died in faith. They were faithful pilgrims, right? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Faithful pilgrims. Let us be like these faithful pilgrims that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Whether it be Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All of these faithful men. The children of Israel themselves as they came out of Egyptian bondage and, and inherited the land of promise by circling the city of Jericho. They did all that by faith. Let us realize that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. That God has prepared for us a city, a heavenly home. This world is not our home. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, Peter says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now Peter's implying that the time that we stay here in this world, in the flesh, is only temporary. And you need to stay, while you stay here in this life, you need to stay in fear. You need to live in fear of God, first and foremost, respect Him, be in awe of Him reverence him and let me say this you need to fear what you, what's going to happen to you if you don't follow him you better fear that but you better walk in reverence before your god chapter 2 and verse 11 he says beloved i beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul having the, your conduct honorable among the gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're all pilgrims, so I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Do those things that bring honor to, you, to God, things that glorify Him. 
Live in such a way that others may see your godliness, your conduct, your faithfulness to God. Live in such a way that others will be encouraged to follow the Lord as you. That's the plea. Because we need to take others with us. This world is not our home. The word pilgrim, according to Lunida, means to live as a foreigner. A person who for a period of time lives in a place which is not his normal residence. An alien, a stranger, a temporary resident. Vines Expository Dictionary. An adjective signifying sojourning in a strange place away from one's own people. Is used of Old Testament saints, Hebrews eleven thirteen, coupled with Zenos, a foreigner. Of Christians in 1 Peter 1, 1, sojourners of the dispersion in 2, 11, coupled with parochias, an alien or a sojourner. The word is thus used metaphorically of those to whom heaven is their own country and who are sojourners on the earth. We're all sojourners on the earth. We're here for a little while. This world is not our home, and it is a dangerous place. You know, this world is becoming more dangerous. Now, I understand it's always been dangerous. Regardless, I don't care how far back you go. Listen, you go all the, way, all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. Cain killed Abel. This world was a dangerous place for Cain, Right? This world has always been a dangerous place. You get into Genesis chapter 6. God looks down at his creation and he sees that every thought and intent of their heart was evil continuously. And you look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11. It says that violence filled the earth. You know, whenever a people, a group of people move away from God. And they continue to move further and further because you don't, just stay, you don't just move a little bit away from God and stay there most of the time, do you? What happens is you move a little away from God and then you get a little further and a little further and a little further. And as time goes by, people get further and further and further away from God. What happens to a society that does that? What happens in a world where that's the case, when people are far from God? It's a wicked world. It's a dangerous world. It's a violent world. Genesis chapter 19, 4 through 8, those Sodomites and Sodom. And Matthew 26 and verse 3. I mean, the religious people, the religious people of Jesus' day plotted to put him to death, to crucify him. People are wicked. Even when you do everything perfectly right, which nobody here has ever done, but Jesus did, even when you live a sinless life, you know what? Wickedness, the wicked people are still going to hate you and they're going to do what they can to destroy you. It's a dangerous world. Far more serious than that which poses, uh, which poses the greatest threat to us. The most serious threat, however, is not the physical harm that can come to us it's the spiritual harm the temptations the allurements of the world this is the most dangerous thing we face in the world what makes this world so 
dangerous. The world's allurements are attractive. And they're easy to accept. You know, Satan has a whole bunch. You know what? He has a, he has a shortcut for everything. Satan has a shortcut for everything under the sun. That's what sin is, really. It's a shortcut to try to obtain some pleasure other than God's, to find it some other way than God's way, to sin against God and to take a shortcut to arrive at some pleasure. Satan is the master of shortcuts. But these shortcuts are always harmful. They're easy to accept, but they're always harmful. They're always going to cost you more than you thought you were ever going to pay. And the pressure of this world inflicts pain and suffering on us as Christians. And it tries to pressure us into being unfaithful to God. So you've got the, the allurements that are attractive on one hand. And then you've got the pressure. In other words, you've kind of got a pull. And then you've got a push. You've got... Satan trying to lure you through temptation. And then you've got the world trying to push you to accept it. Have you ever thought about it like that? This world is a dangerous place. And it's not, I'm not talking about physical. What makes the world so dangerous? You know, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 3 and verse 13, he calls sin the deceitfulness of sin. Lest you fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. It promises something it can't deliver. It, it makes all kinds of promises. In fact, usually it will, it will appear to be in a package that says there's nothing wrong with this. But yet, it has poison. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. The illusions of the world. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 25 and 26, he, we see Moses. You know what Moses did? He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to hold on to and receive all the promises and the glory and the material wealth that he could have had staying in Pharaoh's house in Egypt. He had an easy life. He had it made. I mean, that'd be kind of a nice life if you lived back then, especially. It'd really be appealing. Laying down on a couch, eating grapes, drinking wine, and letting a bunch of women fan you with those. That's the life that Moses would have had. He traded that to suffer with the, with the children of God, to suffer afflictions. But the world makes you think that this is the way to go. Isn't this grand? Isn't this wonderful? We have people getting paid all kinds of money to make advertisements to make you think that beer is good for you. And you know, you never see, you, you never see on these ads the drunkard in the street, do you? Who's laying there in his own, well, it's nasty. You never see that, though. You never see the destroyed families that it leaves. You never see that. It's an illusion. It's all it is. They want you to see what they want you to see. The world says, look, here it is right now. 
You can have it now. Satan's good at that. Right now. Satan's strongest. Um, enticement. I guess his greatest advantage. Is that the things that he offers us. Are things we can have right now. They're immediate. The things that we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, they're right here available to us right now. It's all a lie. And it doesn't give what it promises, but he makes it appear like you can have it all, and you can have it now. It's all appealing. The desires of the flesh, James 1.14. He appeals you through, to you through avenues in which you find attractive. God has given all of us, as, as human beings, certain characteristics and desires that are natural for humanity to have. God has given us these desires, but Satan allures us through these desires to fulfill these desires in unlawful ways, which brings us death. They are appealing because they are immediate and the illusion of the fun that's going to be engaged in when we have it. It's easy. You know, Hebrews 2 and verses 1 and 2 talks about the, the salvation that has been brought to us and that had been confirmed by, by the Lord and those who heard Him. But it, the warning is, lest you drift away. How much effort does it take to drift? Just let go and let God, right? And you're drifting. And it's not God who's causing you to drift, though. People have a funny idea about that. They think that there is no effort in serving God when it's just the opposite is true. That's one of Satan's lies, by the way. It takes effort to follow God. It doesn't take any effort at all to follow Satan. You just let go of the rope. Just let go. It's easy. Sin is easy because it's right here, it's right now. It's deceptive, it's appealing, it's easy. And then you have the intimidation factor. People trying to push you into sin. The world is a dangerous place. And we as pilgrims need to understand that. The world doesn't like us. And if you think for a second that you can appease their antagonism by compromising your faith, by compromising what is true, you have bought into the biggest lie of all. You cannot appease those who hate God. You cannot appease the ungodly. You cannot appease the unfaithful by compromising your convictions. The only thing that you can do is to stay the course and be faithful to God. And if it brings about persecution, if it brings about suffering and hardship, that's just the way it is. We're pilgrims. Philosophy. The philosophy of the world. Worldly philosophy. I'll tell you what. It is seeped into the church. And it is destroying churches. It is destroying families. It is destroying souls. Brethren are buying into false ideas. Because they have been influenced by worldly human philosophy. And that's why Paul in Colossians 2 and verse 8 says, Beware of human philosophy. Destroys the soul. 
The world is God's enemy and ours. Okay? Understand that. The world will mold us if we're not careful. Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and faithful word of God. The world can distract us. Those who are soldiers are to be faithful to the Lord and are not to be entangled in the things of this world. Don't allow the world to distract you. To distract you by taking your time, taking your energy and your effort into pursuit of worldly things. People get all caught up in all kinds of stuff. And I, I understand, you know, you, you see things and there's nothing wrong in and of itself with enjoying life. The Ecclesiastic writer makes that very clear. The things that God has blessed you with, enjoy what you have. Enjoy the time that God has blessed you with, of course, and all, all in obedience to God and being faithful to Him. But enjoy life. But what Satan wants and what the world wants is for you to make that your focus. There's nothing wrong with football. Nothing wrong with enjoying a football game. Unless you're a Razorback fan and I don't know how you can enjoy a football game right now. Anywhere. But nevertheless... To enjoy those things, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, football has become like a religion for many. I mean, think about right now, where so many people are in this world. Where are they? They are in their shrine. They are in their place of worship. They have on their team colors. And they are ready for their team to come out and take the field. Win or lose. That's their religion. Sad. The world can distract us. We have a defiled world. You know, it, this world is nasty. It's filthy spiritually. And Peter warns that we can be entangled again in those things that we have once been delivered from. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. And if we have become entangled again, it's hard to get loose the first time. It's going to even be harder to get loose the second time. And what do you think will be the end of those who have become entangled again? It's, Peter says it's worse for them than if they had never known the truth to begin with. The world is passing away and the worldly will be eternally lost. 1 John 2, 15-17, love not the world, neither, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are not of the Father, but of the, Son, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8-9. and What about the un, those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the truth? Paul says that they will... They will face the judgment of the Lord. The Lord will come and He will destroy them. The word destroy does not mean to annihilate. The word destroy means to lose your well-being. All loss of well-being. And they will be experiencing that loss of well-being eternally. Their eternal punishment. The world is dangerous. Okay, having that, and that's the biggest point. We, we need to understand that. Now, while we're going through this world, 
something else that makes it a little difficult is that we are not, you know, we're not being carried through the world per se. We are walking, traveling with a load. Cross-bearing is a condition of discipleship. A condition that many in Christianity today has completely thrown out the window. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. The world says, whoever wants to come to Jesus, just say a little prayer and go about your business. Live like you want to live. Cross-bearing is a condition of discipleship, which calls for daily sacrifice, Luke 9 and verse 23. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. In Galatians 6 and verse 2, those who are spiritual are to bear the weak. Those who have stumbled and those who have fallen. Those who are spiritual are to bear them up, to hold them up. Self-denial. We need to understand we're not living for ourselves, we're living for others. If you're a parent, you're living for your children, and you're living for your associates, your family, everybody that's around you. We need to understand there is self-denial involved in following Christ. Now, it's also a personal matter. As Paul talked about how he died with Christ, personally he also lives, and Christ is living in him, and that empowers him to live for Christ. Galatians 2.20 but the reality is, I must stand before the Lord myself. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27, Paul talks about how he buffeted his body daily. And he, he disciplined himself. Because he understood that if he did not, he would be also a castaway, a reject. If he wasn't faithful to the Lord. Cross-bearing comes before crown-bearing. We're traveling with a burden, carrying a cross. But we have guidance, we have instructions. You know, what we would all be straying pilgrims if we did not have a map. But we have a map. And with this map, we can know how to live, which direction to go, what road to travel. God's Word contains directions and instructions for our journey. It is our guide from earth to eternity. It is so sad that so many people today know absolutely nothing about this book. And many people think it's absolutely irrelevant. I'll tell you something that's even scarier than that. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who think this book is absolutely irrelevant. I don't think it matters. It's just a bunch of words. It's just letters. Printed on a page by men. Boy, modernists have really done a number on the way people think about God's Word. We need to realize, my friend, that God's Word is the inspired instruction map to get us from this world to heaven. Psalms 119 and verse 19. Well, but first of all, Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can't find your way by yourself. You know that? O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walks to direct his own paths, Jeremiah 10, 23. We, are, we, we must understand that. 
But God has given us His way. And we need to hide His words in our heart so that we may not sin against Him. God's Word provides a light for our path. Psalms 119, 104, and 105. God's Word helps us avoid the deceptions and the pitfalls and the dangers on our journey. Read Proverbs chapters 2, chapter 4, especially chapter 6 and 7. Those are some real good chapters along this line. You want to know how to avoid adultery? You want to know how to avoid falling into the devil's traps? Watch your company. Watch who you're traveling with. Watch where you spend your time. Watch what you do. Be wise, Solomon says. God's word helps us to avoid all of these things. We need to understand also we're not traveling alone. You know, we, we have the example of those who have gone before us. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Through chapter 12 in verse 1, we have a whole list of folks who were faithful to God. They were faithful pilgrims. And the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, we have this standard, this great throng of witnesses. What were they witnesses to? That we can be faithful in this life. He says we are surrounded by them. We know from history that people can be faithful to God. We know that they suffer, that it's hard, but we also know that it's worth it. And we have this great crowd surrounding us, cheering us on. Then we know that God is with us. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, of course, we can leave God. God is where He is. And as long as we are following God, we are in good company. Well, what if I turn away from Him? But God is with us. As long as I'm serving Him faithfully, I don't have anything to fear. Jesus is by our side. Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The King James Version does say, Lo, I am with you always. Brother Lowell Blassingame said that's why he, didn't ever, he never wanted to get on an airplane, because Jesus never promised to be with Him up there. He promised to be with Him low. And I thought that was pretty good. I don't like airplanes that much either. But Lowell, like me, did some traveling. He, been, he went to Africa many times. Jesus is by our side. That's comforting. And godly brethren are also by our side. They are there to encourage us. I know that there are some brethren who aren't very much of an encouragement. There are some brethren who don't behave like they ought to behave. There are some brethren who... Who are actually discouraging. There are a few. But there are so many more that are encouraging. And align yourself with those who will help you get to heaven. Who will encourage you. Get close to them. Be an encouragement to them. As they are an encouragement to you. It's much better that way. We're not traveling alone. And the fuel for our journey. We have what we need. If we'll just tap into it. You know, if you're taking a long journey across country, you're going to have to stop many times to get gas. Gas is expensive. But for our journey in this life, God has provided everything that we need. All that we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is receive it. And, of course, yes, that takes effort. 
Listen, to develop your faith, you have to put in effort. Okay? You have to study your Bible. You have to study the Scriptures. You have to practice what the Scriptures teach. You have to follow them. Now, if you do that, you're going to strengthen your faith. No question about it. You have Romans chapter 4. You have Hebrews chapter 11. You have James chapter... Faith is so important. But it must be a faith that works. You have genuine love. Love keeps us committed. Listen, if I love something, I don't just quit it when people, you know, make me angry. If I love something. Think about that. Go back to the example of football. You know what? I have been discouraged before as a Razorback fan, but I think I'm about at my low. But I will tell you this, I'm still a Razorback fan. And I always will be. Whether they're 0 and 12 or they're 12 and 0, I'm a Razorback fan. Now, compare that. Spiritually, I'm much more of a Jesus Christ fan. I'm going to be following him. I don't care what this life entails. I don't care how hard it gets. My love keeps me committed to him. And what he's done for me keeps me committed to him. That's why we must develop our love for Christ. Listen, our faith needs to be developed. Our love for him needs to be developed. Zeal is really the product of our faith and our love. If I love somebody... Really love them, and I really do want what's best for them. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna act it out. You know, I'm gonna do what I can to make them happy. How much more if I love the Lord and I trust Him with all of my heart? I'm gonna be zealous in my in my life for Him. Zeal, and we need to keep that zeal going. We need to understand that we must always be zealous. For good works. Hope. Hope is what keeps us going. It helps us to endure the hardships. Romans 5 and verses 3 through 6. It helps to keep us holding on to the rope. Because we know what is coming is so much more glorious than what we have. The importance of hope. Well, we have the fuel that we need to make it through this life. We just have to tap into it. We have to develop it and utilize it. And we'll be okay. We'll have what we need. That's what we were talking about in our Bible class this morning. Our destination, heaven, is worth all the effort and all the cost that we can imagine. Jesus warns about looking back like Lot's wife in Luke 9.62. Remember Lot's wife? Let us not look back at the world. Let us not make our home here. Let us be those pilgrims, faithful pilgrims that are striving to reach a homeland that we know that God is going to make and provide for us. We must look to Jesus and follow Him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Let's look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We must keep our focus on heaven. That is our goal. Keep our eyes focused on heaven. Lay up our treasures in heaven. 
be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get to heaven. We need to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. We need to realize and trust that God has made a place for us. And like those pilgrims in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, they recognize this is just a temporary place. It really has no value. We can't take it with us. It's all going to be turned to dust someday. Heaven's my home. Let us be like them. My friend, we're all on a journey. Every single person here is on a journey. You're going down one of two roads this morning. You're either on the road to heaven as a pilgrim on his way home to be with the Lord. Or you are on the road that leads to everlasting separation from God and everlasting destruction in a place called hell. There are only two ways with only two destinations. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says, Matthew 7, 13. That's your choice, my friend. You choose which road you're going to go down. You make that choice. You enter by the straight and narrow gate. By the way, straight and narrow, that indicates that you can't get into that gate with the world on your back. You can't carry the world with you on this road. And the burden that you bear is not going to be a worldly sinful burden. It's going to be the cross and denying yourself. That's the only way you're going to get through that narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. That is the easy road. It's all downhill, if you will. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. You're on one of two roads this morning. What is the end of the road that you are currently on? You're a pilgrim. You're just passing through. You're not going to be here forever. One day you're going to die. And you're going to cross into the next world, the next existence. Will it be in heaven? Will it be hell? You know, this is true for each and every one of us. We're free to choose. Heaven or hell. We're free to choose God or the world. We're free to choose. But we are not free not to choose. We will all make a choice. We make that choice every day, but we all make a choice. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, I want to say to you, if you are of age and you've never been baptized into Christ, you're not on the road that leads you to heaven. You better get off of the road that you're on and you better enter Christ. Be buried with Him, receive the remission of your sins, and by faith follow Him. Repent of sin, confess Him as Lord, and follow Him. If you are a child of God who has once obeyed the gospel, but you've, you've been entangled again by the world, you are allowing the world to distract you, to deceive you. If the world is too valuable to you, listen, this morning you need to make up your mind and commit to it. You're going to turn back to Christ. Leave the world behind. If we can help you in any way, please come while we stand, while we sit.